created live on Fireside. Guys and girls, welcome to it. It's a pleasure to have your company at this hour. This is Doing It Sober Live with Daniela Park and myself, Chris Snell. The name of the game is we're going to provide you with some answers that hopefully you can put into your toolbox. Remember, anything in life is accomplish, uh, is be able to accomplish with the golden rule as long as you do it sober. And as if right on cue, Mark Kimball. Hi there, Mark. Hey, guys. Pleasure to make you With that said, let's introduce our guest. The world of rock and roll has been famed, or rather notorious, for the full tilt subculture of recklessness. Although that phase came and went by the same manner as the typewriter, where that notoriety has had a lingering effect from a combination of tabloid journalism, continued participation by misguided followers, the actual truth behind the industry of rock and roll today has seen a rather visible paradigm shift regarding socioeconomic issues and even the build of positive relationship building with audiences locally and worldwide. Our gentleman who joins us today, Mark Kendall, knows this facet all too well. As guitarist and an integral part of the cult favorite Great White, Mr. Kendall has fashioned himself as an old soul musician who enjoys human connection and believes that even though a lot has changed, much ought to remain the same. I'll give you a couple of examples. Record making, songwriting, and even purchasing music alike. Mark also has a head in his shoulders, having thrown his weight behind the charity Music Cares, which hasn't seen him uh, which has seen him featured, rather, on both radio and TV with his efforts in promoting recovery. And here on Doing It Sober Live, we proudly present to you Mark Kendall. It's a pleasure. Thank you, Chris. Thank you, Daniela. Wasn't that a nice little intro? Yeah. <laughs> Wonderful. Wonderful. How's Mark Kendall today? Uh, uh, everything's great. Um, just chilling at home. We just did three shows in a row, so uh, I'm accepting this rest day. And, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, just hanging out. Um, went by a friend of mine to give him a present just out of the blue, not for a birthday, not for Christmas, not for anything, just my buddy. I went by his shop, and uh, they own a spa, and I just I just brought him a gift just out of the blue just to be, you know, a gift giver, I guess. How nice. <laughs> There's no better yeah. feeling than to give rather than to get. Am I right? Yeah. Yeah. You know, uh, you know, they own a spa and my wife goes there and stuff. I don't know. They're just really giving people themselves. So I like to surprise people, you know, instead of waiting for some special occasion, just, you know, just show your love some other, you know, just on a regular old Monday or whatever. You know what I mean? Mark, uh, <laughs> tell me. I've come to know you through your music. I'm a radio DJ and I play a lot of rock songs. Whereabouts did your passion for music start? Let's begin with that. Yeah. Uh, well, my parents, uh, my dad was a, a trumpet player, a jazz, a jazz trumpet player, and my mother was a singer, uh, so there was always music in the house when I was a little boy, and I 
kind of latched on to melody right away and used to sit by their record player, you know, like a hi-fi and sing along to Girl from Ipanema and stuff, you know what I mean? And I remember my mother, my mother told my dad, he sings in keys, you know what I mean? So I, I think I kind of inherited my parents' ears and um, later down the road when I was about nine years old, I got a guitar and it seemed to come pretty natural and by the time I was 10 I I played in my fourth grade class um, Gloria Pipeline Wipeout Secret Agent Man and uh, so I really didn't put it down still in my hands today I was, yeah went from 15 till 17 is where I really feel I honed my skills like I didn't leave my guitar even to go to the store would bring my guitar with is I didn't want to leave it for 15 minutes I mean, it goes like a crazy man. But, uh, you know, it's it's just a love for the music. You know, I think the reason we've been around so long is we're trying to constantly trying to improve. You know, we think we're gonna write the best song of our lives any moment. You know, so that's what, keep, that's what keeps our energy up. You know what I mean? Sure, Danny, it's your turn. Yeah. So 40 years, basically, of rocking and rolling. How, how long have you been sober now? Um, in November, November 1st of this, of this coming year, it'll be 14 years. Wow. So, okay. um, you know, I had a lot of years where I was dabbling in sobriety. The term in programs is known as one foot in the door and one out. So my foot out the door was the one that looked at the clock in the rooms and couldn't wait to leave. And you know what I mean? I think the reason I kept going back over the years, even though I just removed alcohol, do no self-work whatsoever, but I was able to, well, they call it a dry drunk, to somebody who just removes alcohol and doesn't do any self-work. Yeah. yeah. I, could, I would go two years, literally, without drinking, and what would happen is I was so jealous of people that could drink normal, I kept trying to do it myself. And failing every time. So in 2008, I did something I hadn't really done before, which is become honest. And literally called my wife from the road. I was in Utah and told her I drank. But I said, the good news is when I get home, but I told her this before. I said, this time, I really mean it. I'm going to go to talk to guys with 30 plus years of sobriety, do everything they say, take direction, because I really want to be sober and I'm willing to do the work and, and all this stuff with my character defects, you know. The lying for no reason, it just became a part of being an alcoholic. You know, I would I would tell my wife I had pizza when it was a hamburger. That's how bad it was. You know what I mean? Right. And uh, yeah. so, so now I'm not only honest to her, but to myself. You know, I've done, done a lot of work with my fears that I had. I've always had this embedded fear. Not afraid to admit it. Alcohol became like a vehicle for me to be able to hang around very small crowds, be the cocky guy, be the funny guy. And, mm -hmm. you know, with four beers, it became so much easier. So, right. but it becomes a rut. And, and that's where I got in trouble was, I call it, I've named it chasing normal. <laughs> because, <laughs> like I've said before, 
it's not like I want to be wasted out of my mind at 10 a.m., but I don't want to feel bad either. It's <laughs> it's just a lot of work. That's all I can tell you. It's so much work that maintenance and, and you know, balancing your bad feeling with, you know, getting rid of that. When I saw that I could drink four beers and it got rid of the fear, it really became my fear was my biggest trigger. So I needed mm-hmm. to figure that out. And it, it took me a while to figure it out, but I worked with another guy. The way I became improved in that area, because I've always been shy as well, I confronted people when yeah. when maybe they were either talking behind somebody's back, maybe they're doing something I don't approve of, and I would confront, and it was very tough, believe it or not. Yeah. It might sound easy to you guys, but for me, it was just awful and i just practiced that and the more i realized what am i afraid of in this life i i can't believe i have so much fear and i kind of outran my fear i literally outran it and today i can be in my living room with eight people and play my acoustic guitar without coffee flying out my nose (laughs) you know what i mean (laughs) so so, uh, and that, that was my biggest difficulty was small social gatherings and me just to be dead sober. I couldn't do it. So, you know, mm-hmm. playing in front of 300,000 people, that was a different story, which I still drank there too, but I wasn't as afraid because I felt so removed from the, from the audience, even though it's a lot of people. I'm more intimidated by small groups, but today... I can actually say that just a better person overall can kind of live with myself comfortably. I feel like I'm living right, you know, at least the best I can. <laughs> My friend said something funny. He goes, I think I'm going to get a neck a neck tattoo that says I'm doing the best I can. <laughs> that would be Love perfect it. for me. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> I but, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so that's pretty much my story in a very small nutshell. Sure, sure. So your new life in sobriety, what's changed? Like, has your creativity changed? Have, you know, what's different? What was different just out of the beginning is I was getting sober for the right reason. I wasn't doing it because, you know, my kids don't like daddy drunk and my wife just doesn't like the way I act when I drink. I, I literally did it for myself. I just figure everything else is going to take care of itself. So I don't need to get sober for any one thing. You know what I mean? Because, uh, and I've been told down the road uh, from people that have experienced being in and out. It's if you get sober for, because your wife doesn't like you drunk or whatever, it's the second she's happy, you drink again. You know, the mm-hmm. second you gain that trust, you you use again. And so, but if you do it for yourself, you know, you're always with me, you know, so I figured, you know, my chances of success are a lot better. And the other thing that I've really held on to for dear life is one day at a time, you know, and the, the newcomers that I work with, when they start coming in, telling me I'm done and I'll never drink again, I'm so over that stuff. I I worry, <laughs> you know. I go, dude, don't put the, don't put these impossible tasks in front of yourself. Do not drink forever, but let's just get through it today, and I'll we'll, I'll talk to you tomorrow. So um, 
that's the way I've really done it. And uh, my relationship has improved immensely. Um, happy all the time. I mean, I feel similar every day. I, I thank God every day. Just a little small prayer here and a small prayer there. Just giving thanks. My kids absolutely love me. Great friends, great energy. I channel my energy elsewhere instead of trying to fix my mixture. <laughs> you know, that's what I tell people, man. It's such an easier life. I promise you. Mm-hmm. Sobriety is such an easier life than active addictions. There is another life available to you. Mm-hmm. And if you're thinking about getting sober, because I know I went through my head forever. I actually was, you know, thinking about it. But your first thought is, God, I can't imagine my life just not being able to party at all. It's just going to be like boring mania. <laughs> you know, believe it or not, that's really common. And yeah. so they, I believe a lot of people uh, think that there's no enjoyment available unless you have a buzz. And right. and that's just because you're, you're kind of programmed that way because you're so used to, you know, partying down. <laughs> I've had a couple people come to me and say, man, is that all you're going to talk about? And I, I'm going, dude, listen, I'm not talking to you. You're you're a sociable you're drinker. You know, you're the guy that drinks four beers and watches the game. I'm talking to people suffering. I, I'm not talking to people that drink socially. And I'm talking about people that roll out of bed and just fill up big gulp cups with whiskey. You know what I mean? And, and that might be on the brink of death. So that's the people I'm reaching out to. Just in case there's a, you know, because a lot of times, especially the people I've worked with, I've found that just an encouraging word can help. Just offering my sober friendship and support might get somebody to want to find a sober path. It's shocking, but I'm I'm absolutely telling you the truth. Sometimes I can give you an example of the first guy I worked with. His wife had told him that she didn't want to watch him dying anymore. And it crushed him, but she was supportive. She wasn't going to leave. You know, she, she was supportive, but just, it was hard for her to watch this guy just roll out of bed and start drinking whiskey. Mm -hmm. But he saw my post the same day. She said that gets a hold of me and he gets in contact with music cares. They get him into a place called Cumberland in Nashville. Uh, he has like eight years sobriety today or nine. No, I think it's nine. He went from patient to counselor in five years. It's like when things like that happen, I <laughs> tell somebody, instead of using Facebook to tell everybody how great I am, I think I think I want to try this, you know, reaching out to people that are struggling. And uh, it's a joy. It's been a complete joy. <laughs> Tell us about the outreach work that you've done with Music Cares. I understand Alice Cooper as well has done a lot of work for Music Cares. Won the Stevie Ray Vaughan Award for his philanthropic work in that area. Well, as far as Music Cares goes, occasionally I'll run into a musician that's in trouble. So Music Cares will step in and help. You know, they they help musicians. And it, it doesn't matter what level you're at. You can play weddings once a year 
and, you know, <laughs> just show them a flyer that, you know, you're a flute player and they'll get you in rehab. So they're a wonderful uh, entity and I like to get involved and I go around and speak at meetings anyways. It doesn't have to be music airs. I just, if they have an event, I'm going to go support it and be an advocate and all that. But I also go, if somebody's celebrating 90 days sobriety, I'll go speak for 45 minutes at that meeting. You know what I mean? So I just, people that are in early recovery, sometimes, you know, they don't make it and it's tough. So I like to at least give them all my story. Hopefully they take something from that that helps them. And, and maybe you, you never know. I mean, I've worked literally. And the only reason I know the exact number is because I send out daily meditation. But I've worked with 134 people in the last 10 years, one-on-one. And I've seen so much success. It's silly. Completely defies this low percentage situation that they talk about in the 12-step programs, which I never promote, by the way. I've never went out there and said, so-and-so program is the greatest ever, and I think you should get yeah. sober that way. The only thing I've done is shared my story. I, did, I just tell them the way I did. They don't have to do it that way. They can go pray to their furniture and get sober. <laughs> but, uh, I do it. A, a, I, I tell them the way I did it, and, and they might be able to take a couple things from that and maybe – you know, that'll be helpful because obviously what they're doing is not working so good. So I don't know. It, I know I was inspired by people in, in fellowship situations where four people will tell their story and it's my story every time. It's like, because here's the difference now you asked earlier between back whenever is I used to call everybody that went to these program, I'd call them Nazi program. I, I call it everything but what it is. Huh. And I always called everybody those people, those people. <laughs> I am no way yeah. one of those people. You know what I mean? <laughs> I just refuse to be one of those people. Right. And once I accepted that I am one of those people, <laughs> then I started listening uh, more intently and, and realized that I can't believe that that guy right there used to take out the trash and sneak a couple drinks. I thought I oh. wrote that. I thought I thought I could, you know, patent that that. <laughs> and, and this guy actually did the same <laughs> thing. I, I can't believe it. I thought it was the most brilliant move ever, right? I, I'm taking out the trash, honey. And I, I, you know, the forty, you know. But uh, you hear your story, and it makes you realize. Not only are you in the right place, but you're not alone. It's like yeah. these other people have the same problem I do with their compulsive life. And that's one thing I really have to police myself on is like I get into something. I have to be the best in the world and I just wig out and, you know, <laughs> so I have to, uh, you know, kind of watch that. But. That's part of my thing, too, is I'm so compulsive. I've always been that way, too. Like, if I play baseball, i got to be the greatest baseball player that ever lived. And, you know, <laughs> I practice more than anybody in history, you know. So, um, but it's almost, it's almost sick how, how tense I am. But 
I don't know. I just kind of channel my energy. I think I'm, my life is way better balanced today as far as with my relationship, being a guitar player, being dad, grandfather to my little nine-year-old, uh, baseball, soccer, football, swimmer, <laughs> drummer, <laughs> guitar player, you know. So I get a lot of enjoyment with all that, too. And that's the difference. And, and it's not the me, 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 me. Even though my T-shirt has my own picture on it, I don't have anything for sale. And, and, uh, you know, and, and the other funny thing is, I play for free, so I'm not even selling that. It's, uh, you know, I make a little charge for traveling. I actually go play concerts free, but they pay me to fly around and and, uh, get burned out and tired. No, I'm just kidding. But anyways, uh, somebody, uh, they go, God, you got a picture of yourself on your shirt. And I'm like, yeah, it's not ego. It's insecurity. God bless for that good sense of humor, Mark. God bless. (laughs) Thanks, Chris. So what about your other band members? Are any of them sober or are any of them? No, they're all normal. They're all normal. just seems impossible to me. My drummer, maybe after a gig, drinks one beer. One. And then he doesn't drink the second one. He just stops right there. You know, I, I mean, I don't even like to think about it. I just go, dude, I, I don't know how you guys do that. That's just impossible. Yeah. The keyboard player, Michael Lardy, guitar player, he doesn't drink at all. Yeah, so there's no big party atmosphere going on, even though if there was, if it was, as long as it wasn't like, you know, people shooting heroin around me or something, I don't even care. Uh, yeah. Nothing bothers me about what other people do these days. But I never have the cocky attitude like I got this stuff handled. Do what yeah. you want. I, I know I'm not going to drink. I, I never think that way. I, I'm yeah. always in the day I'm at. And if something comes around and I get a thought, get out my 12 gauge and shoot it. You know what I mean? It's like, <laughs> nah, buddy. You know, because <laughs> alcoholics, we're town planners. You know, literally when I was going through those dry drunk runs. I would go, man, there was the biggest window of opportunity to drink right here. There's no way I'm missing out. <laughs> you know what I mean? So we're literally town planners. We could be really good real estate agents or something. But uh, oh my now my plan is to not drink today. I literally, it, it's so stupid, simple how I keep it because confusion can be a, a trigger also. I, I've seen it over and over. You get frustrated. You know, especially early sobriety, you're you're really mad and you start throwing excuses and you get into that effort vibe. So which anger can also be a trigger. I when I work with people, I like to identify their triggers. I I like to know what is it that that kind of makes you have the urge to to use or drink or whatever your drug of choice is. Try to identify all that. And see if we can, um, you know, keep you away from those triggers. Because a lot of times in the early part, especially of your sobriety, you're really vulnerable and you're, you need to be careful and, and, and all that. Just really stick to the program. But I've seen people blow it after 20 years, too. So that's why 
I, I really stay in the moment and just enjoy it because I really do enjoy this life, you know, and I don't take it for granted. That dark life, that dark place that I used to live is never that far away. It, it doesn't seem 15 years ago or whatever. Uh, it, it seems very close. I know it's hovering right there. If if I even raise a drink to my mouth, I, I know something bad will happen. It, I, I'm not kidding you. It's happened before I when I would decide to drink. A bunch of bad stuff happened. The car would break <laughs> down. I'd get a flat tire, get all these bills in the mail. Uh, you know, it's like the universe or something knows I'm not living right. It's <laughs> just amazing. <laughs> you know, people don't, it, it doesn't even sound believable, but it's happened so many times that I don't even question it. But I have no desire at this time to ever revisit that dark place. I really enjoy to continue to move to the light and the whole world opens up. And you can't believe all the things that are available for you to do now because you're so you were so tunnel visioned into your drugs and your alcohol that that becomes a full time job just to feel well. And uh, it's a pained life. I really feel bad for people that are in that life because I know the suffering. I, I lived it. That That's why I like to reach out. Mark, I have an honest question, and let's revise. You're a successful musician and instrumentalist. You and your group, Great White, wrote cult hit upon cult hit. But from what I'm hearing about what you're speaking, nowadays in recovery, you play for the joy of it. You're grateful for the success that you've had in both areas. Since achieving sobriety, how have you remained centered in the years to follow? Do you understand my question? Would you like me to rephrase it for you? How do you remain so centered as a person? Uh-huh. in both your recovery and in your professional life as a musician? I think I have an answer to that. I, it's just, um, I don't take myself that serious. I don't really complicate, I, I try not to complicate my life. I just really keep things fairly simple. I don't overthink anything. My attitude is when, when I play is like, point me to the stage and tell me when to stop. You know, uh, you know, I don't know. I, I, I'm just living simply, but I'm enjoying every moment. I know what the other side looks like. So I hope that answers it. I, I try to keep everything as simple as possible. I, I think I've learned a lot from people that have a long-term sobriety. And they've really taught me. A lot of times what I notice, you know, when I work with somebody, because sometimes I work with one person like for a while, it's ongoing because they're not quite getting it. And, and part of that reason, I think, is they're not doing this self-work enough like me. A lot of times you'll have childhood things that that you might have buried. Maybe it was a, an abuse situation or something you've kind of, your mind has told you just to bury it. But sometimes it's good to talk about it. And just, you just kind of hunt everything down that can possibly come up that will bother you, whether it be something from the way in the past, maybe, you know, you had an abusive parent or something that, 
that you just don't want to face. There's a lot of things like with me, it was mostly fear, which is very common. A lot of addicts and alcoholics, they live with fear. So the fear is a very common trigger to use because you want to mask that fear. You want it to go away. And even though it's still there, by using your drug, it makes it go away artificially. But then when your drug wears off, it comes back even stronger. So it's really just lingering, waiting for the drug to wear off. And then you need more and more and more. It, you know, that, that's what I mean about the rut life. I, I just can't deal with it. It's just it's, it's such torture. It's just awful. So there's nothing in my life, and I mean nothing in my life, that I like to see more than sick people get well. Yes. That's admirable of you, Mark. Not many. Yeah. I mean, you, you see a person that looks so awful, you think there's no hope almost. And then all of a sudden they look wonderful. It's like amazing. I just can't believe it. It's the same person. That that almost becomes an addiction for me in itself. I better be yes. careful with even that because I love it so much. Plus, um, to see other people's relationship get better. You know, this isn't all about me. Yeah, I share about the things that got better for me, but they can get better for you too. So that that's fun. Maybe somebody that's lost a lot. Maybe their their wife, their kids, their house, their car, their job, and then they slowly get everything back. That's always sweet. Yes. Yeah. There's just a lot of good good things that happen with getting well. Mm-hmm. You still. And go it's to great what you're doing, Daniela, too, man. I really dig. Uh, I always try to put you in my tags and and stuff because I know you. Uh, promote sobriety it's really awesome thank you that's super <laughs> cool <laughs> so you still go to meetings uh weekly or and, and when you're on the road too um to tell you the truth yeah i have gone to a couple on the road i don't go to tons of meetings but i'm working with someone every single day of my life i mean there is never a day that goes by that somebody doesn't have a question or a newcomer will message me because i'm not hiding from anybody I, I have right. told the world that in every podcast. I'm not one of these bitching rock stars that's hiding from the world and you only see me on stage. I'm a sober advocate. I make myself totally available to anyone on the planet. You can get a hold of me on Facebook. I am not hiding. I will get back to you. I will call you on the phone. We'll talk. We'll uh, get you off the building and down the ladder and get you back to the you know, down to earth and, and we'll try to figure this thing out. I, I think there's a lot of people that want to be sober, but they, they don't know how to take the first step. I know I didn't. My band was going to do an intervention and I sensed it coming and I told them, Hey dudes, like I want to be sober, but I've never done it before. What do you do? I mean, you go to rehabs or, you know, what the hell I I've never even tried to quit. And so I know that there's people out there that, that might, be thinking about it, and maybe it's just going to take. Hey, man, I'm more kindle. You can get a hold of me, and then I'll tell you my yep. my story where I should be dead. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and you never know. They they might go, holy crap, that's how you did it, huh? Shoot. Mm-hmm. I, I, I'm going to look into this. This sounds pretty cool. Now, Mark, if I may ask... And this is sort of a part two to my previous question. If you look at yourself 
Yeah. If you look at yourself previously and what you have accomplished today, I'm sure your higher power like me is dog spelled backwards, which is God. You've yes. given so much of your time and you've used your popularity for the better of those who are suffering. What are some of the life lessons that you've learned in recovery about yourself and how you've bettered yourself in the period going forward? One thing I've learned about myself, I think, is especially when I started dissecting my character defects, mm. is how totally imperfect I am. <laughs> I, mean, I am a hot mess, man. I, mean, I have so many bad habits and, you know, and so I've, I've literally had to just kind of work on them one day at a time. It's so uh, one, one at a time. It's such an ongoing, it's a lot, it's life's work. It, it's not going to be done in three months and 22 days and, and you're all done and you just go, God, thank God, man. That was a lot of work. <laughs> no way. It goes on and on and on because you never totally conquer it. You just improve. I'm trying to improve in all these areas. Because it makes it easy to live with yourself if you're honest. I'm not a goody two-shoes. I throw my, my share of F-bombs and I complain <laughs> about things. You know, so I'm not just, you know squeaky clean like trying to be perfect boy i i'm just yeah. working on things that'll improve myself so it just makes my life easier just to just to know i did the work and god there's so many things that i've had to deal with loss suffered a lot of loss um got through all that i think about the worst things that that have happened to me that could be a trigger for drinking i got through them all so try to mourn properly. I feel everything everyone else feels and stuff. It's just, I don't escape it by going back to my drug of choice. You know what I mean? Sure. I, I kind of take it on the chin and move down the road. <laughs> you know, well, accept life on life's terms or whatever. Sure. Life gets lifey is the other way that you can express it. But you know, when, Life happens, of course, and hits you like a hit between the eyes and you never see it coming. There's plenty of responses one can take. And when one is an addict, that threat of perhaps going into that dark corner of your mind where you want to mope and then perhaps, of course, where you, uh, can I say it expressly? Where the threat of relapse is imminent. But then, of course, there's that third option where you can just say, God, I don't know anymore. Please, just leave. Yeah. I, I pretty much surrendered the way you just said. The other thing is I was so selfish, just a selfish, self-absorbed person as the guy that has his own T-shirt on. So that's <laughs> no, but seriously, <laughs> truly a caring person. I really care about about people recovering, people that give, people that don't give and, and just try to hover on the money and try to do everything possible for themselves. I get why they do that because they want to survive. It's just a survival instinct. But what they're missing is the giving. Mm -hmm. And I never thought I would be the type of person that would be giving and trying to help people that I don't know. But the feeling you get from it, energy that you experience, it's like it blows your mind. It's just like, but I didn't get anything. All, all I did was give something to that guy. <laughs> 
Yeah, but when you see uh, the result from it, you know, you see a whole family get happy, you just everything good kind of humanize, humanizes you a little bit and you go, man, I am literally sitting here feeling so much joy in my heart that I almost feel like um, not so bad. Yeah. Like, I really care about people. Like, I love it that this dude is doing good, you know? And you are. And uh, it has nothing to do with me. It has everything to do with him. So that's pretty neat. Are you a religious person or spiritual? Yeah, I've been going to church since I was like 12, you know. Okay. Used to be in plays and stuff and I wouldn't call my just say spiritual in the sense I pray. I'm not the most brilliant Bible study person that you're ever going to meet, that I promise. But I have faith that there's something, there's something out there. Um I had a pastor, you know, I've been baptized in 2010 and stuff like that. I don't one thing I don't do, uh, especially in my sober, sober walk and, and my being an advocate of, of wellness, is I don't preach to anyone. I don't say, dude, you got to do it this way, this way, or this way. I, I just say, I tell them how I did it, and if they want to take some of that, fine. And if they have a question, of course, I'll give my opinion on it. But one thing I'm not going to do is go, you need to be here at 730 and you need to do this or that. I, I just, I tell them verbatim how I did it, literally. Yeah. I mean, I walk them through. And I kind of did an ABC cookie cutter, especially in the beginning. My hope is they'll just take a few things from that just to get them started. And then if they have some other way. You see, to me, there's a scale. It's a scale that starts at zero and goes all the way over to 10 or whatever. And that around the zero guy is the guy that gets a DUI and never drinks for the rest of his life just because of that DUI. He's so pissed. And then a guy that loses everything he's ever had in his life and still drinks. And then there's other people in between that need a little nudge and, hey, man, come over here, man. I'll be your sober friend. You know, you can call me every day. Really? Yeah, you give me a call. I don't care if it's four in the morning. If you if you have an urge to drink or something, I'll I'll talk to you. And they might do good. Frustrating, I know, for a lot of parents that have kids that just can't seem to to get it going, and it becomes an enabling situation for some parents because they love their child so much. But they know they're messing up. They're doing the heroin thing. And, and they're giving them money for it and stuff like that. I've seen that. I know how tough that is on people. Uh, I don't. I know how tough it is because they don't want to watch their kid die. But giving them money is, I don't think, the answer either. No. But I've thought about it a lot. And I don't really, really hurt and upset in the beginning of helping people when they don't make it. What I found is, and I had to speak to a couple of people, is I cannot take someone's addiction personally. Mm-hmm. I can only give all I can give and just pray they make it. If somebody doesn't want sobriety either, that is a tough nut to crack. If you don't want to get well, how am I going to get you well? <laughs> I mean, you have to kind of want it, I think. And I wanted it desperately. And that kind of blend itself to why I've had some success. The reaching out, getting involved, 
not hiding, isolating. I, I don't like the isolating bit. I don't think that's any good for anybody, even if you're not a drinker. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I, you know. I, I think he, I think he should have a little fellowship with a few people and stay active a little. I'm impressed. I really see this. That's what the whole spirit is about. Is about giving back, and yeah. that's and that keeps you sober. Doing a damn good yeah. job, Mark. I'm proud of you. Thank you. Thanks so <laughs> Pretty much. Pretty awesome. I don't do it for any other reason apart from enjoyment. Like I said, it's, I, I just love watching sick people get, get well. And yeah. there's no hidden agenda behind it. I, it makes me feel good. So I do get gratification from watching people do well. I'm not doing it for a selfish reason. Right. That's why I can live with it. Because I think the old me would maybe do something because they expected something in return. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I do get enjoyment, though, so I am getting paid. <laughs> and that's you know, okay. It's a, it's a different thing, though, with me today than the old, dark, living person. I was not the greatest person, really. Issues, a lot of them stemmed from my abuse. I don't know if you've ever, everybody, I think, has experienced this. Like, a family member is the sweetest guy just about you've ever met in your life. But when he drinks, the dude is Satan. I'm telling you. <laughs> the guy just goes crazy. You know, he drinks two beers and he just flips out and wants to beat everybody up. So I wasn't that guy, but I definitely was. I was kind of like the happy drunk, but just didn't look very good. And I was just an embarrassment, man. It, it, it's Things are a lot better now. And Mark... You know what, if there's one thing that I really would like to end this off with, you know, I'm familiar with your career. I'm familiar with now Mark Kendall, the person. And what I have to say is really bloody well done. Bloody well done on the man that you have become, the man that is like Santa Claus consistently giving back. You've done well. And if both Daniela and I can implore you, please don't stop. Please don't stop doing what you're doing. And equally as important, we implore you, please don't stop being the man who you are meant to be. And we thank you for all the work that you've done. I, I'm a big fan of the, the McCartneys and the Joe Walshes and the Alice Coopers of the world, too, who are doing the same thing I am, reaching out to Rob Halfords. We're just normal folks, and I'm not even on the level of all these heroes. They, they go out and, you know, two million people get to hear. And, I, and I'm sitting there, 10 years it took me to just work with 134. So, like I said, I'm doing the best I can. <laughs> you know, I don't have the profile of those dudes. I wish I did, man. I'd like to get involved. Alice Cooper does a lot of good things, so I, I'm going to Go play some guitar down in Arizona. Any function he has, because he, he is really a giving dude. There's a lot of other people out there do, trying to do my part. So I, I appreciate your kind words. And with that, folks, we conclude an edition of Doing It Sober Live. We would like to extend our thanks to Mr. Mark Kendall, the legend, the musician, the absolute fundamental 
or a, a fundamental is the wrong word, the monument of what it's like being just an absolute light in the world. And again, Mark, thank you so much. We thank you for tuning in. And we'll see you all. God I bless you. I'm happy to be a part of getting the word out. And Daniela, you rock. And thank you, guys. Next time, everybody. Keep doing it sober. Cheers.